Even though you would sometimes disagree with him, he would listen. There are things that we can be doing right now to have open dialogue, to get public input, and to be able to make solid decisions for the state of Alaska. You know, politics, Mr. President, in my estimation, is a character test. Welcome to the Empty Office podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Luke Gale Tobin. I'm Mike Mason. Uh, Senator Tobin, good morning. Good morning, Mike. We are joined today by a very special guest, uh, Lou Tobin, Senator Tobin's father, who has been in the Capitol for the past three days, keeping people accountable. So, uh, Lou, good morning. Good morning, Mike. So, I want to begin with um, Nome, because we were talking before we started here that you arrived in Nome on the airplane in 1972 and for the most part, never left. It's been home ever since. Yep, I fell in love. Why did you fall in love with Nome, Alaska in 1972? And where did you? Where did that plane originate from? Oh, it was just from Anchorage. I was. We drove from New York to Alaska, Anchorage. You know, that's the way everybody got there in 72. I had a Volkswagen bus, and we camped. Everybody else boasts about how fast they drove the Alcan. I think it took me three months because I stopped and learned a gold pan and we fished and we talked to all the people on the way, got to Laird Hot Springs and uh, we're so excited about that. We came out of Laird Hot Springs the next morning and we drove 50 miles the wrong direction before we discovered <laughs> we were going south and had, so it was, we had a lot of fun on the Alcan. And then I was working in um, Anchorage as a tour director for West Tours. And my, I don't know how you say it, usually we say my future ex-wife, who I picked up in Wisconsin, she was in the same college as I was, and she was graduating when I was coming through with my Volkswagen bus. She says, I've always wanted to go to Alaska. So I said, get in the bus. And Volkswagen buses are fairly small and tight company. By the time we got to Anchorage, we were living together. So I was driving from... Anchorage to Whitehorse every week. I'd drive three days down, spend the night in Whitehorse, three days back. We had a big fight on one of those trips, and I drove to Whitehorse and came back, and the house was empty. And she'd been offered a job in, in Nome and um, took not only her stuff, but all of my stuff and sold the rental on the whole, rented out our place. So I, so I finished my tour, and in October... I flew up to say I was sorry and maybe get my stuff back and start my life. Landed in Nome. I turned up at her apartment at 10 o'clock at night saying, can I just stay here till I can get back in the morning and find a, find a place? Well, at 2 in the morning, her landlord came storming up the stairs about, I'll not have this fornication in my house and because I was sleeping on the couch is the only reason she didn't get kicked out. But 2 o'clock in the morning, my first night in Nome, I was on the streets walking around with everybody else and sitting at the back of the Polaris, you know, trying to stay warm. So 
why did you uh, never get on that plane headed back out of Nome? And I, and I say this because I have kind of a very similar story. I ended up in Alaska for a two-week visit, and I never left. Uh, Ten mm-hmm. days later, I went fishing kind of thing. Why did you never, never cash in that trip back, to, back home? When we were coming up to Alaska, the whole goal was not to get to Anchorage. Anchorage was like the starting, it was 15 minutes from Alaska, or half an hour, I guess we figured, from Alaska by plane. Everybody that was there kept visions of, we're going to Alaska. We're going to go live where the people are. And so that was, the goal was to get out of Anchorage and live somewhere else. And this was, this was the place. And I grew up in New York City. And in New York City is a place without cars either. So you know everybody on the street. You don't know anybody in your apartment or your you know, skyscraper. But you know everybody on the street, all the shop dealers. And within a week, I knew everybody on the street in Nome, and it felt more like New York than any other place I'd been to. Senator Tobin, uh, in the uh, brief time that I have known you, uh, you consider yourself a Nomite, right? Nome is your home. I do. And I I think that's one of the cool things I find about Anchorage. Uh, In the district that I represent, I often meet folks who have a Nome story, who worked in Nome or who have family in Nome or who have extensive traveled through and around the Bering Strait area. And I realize this is the cool aspect of our community. It's eclectic and it's diverse. And it has people who have these great lived experiences in all these different locales of Alaska and have chosen this part of uh, our state to to set down their roots and to live uh, the next iterative or the next portion of their life. And I am very privileged because I have family still in Nome and I have the ability to travel back and forth. And so I have this opportunity to really keep in mind how important it is to be a senator for the downtown area of Alaska, of Anchorage, and then also to keep uh, in my heart and in my thoughts, how my actions affect those in the community of my birth. I want to talk about something that we have talked about privately, and that is the kind of the special aspect of Alaska that is totally unique compared to any place else in, in the United States of America. And that is uh, the, the small little communities that are isolated, rural, and, uh, you know, the little villages, the little, the little settlements, I've had conversations with people about uh, one of the places I really enjoy is a place called Togiak, a little community. And uh, we had the discussion one time when there was like, I don't know, we, there was like a, a big calamity, you know, worldwide kind of thing. Like what would happen if this happened? And my observation was it wouldn't bother Togiak one little bit. Like there are these little communities that are, they will, they will always be there, hopefully, right? That's special, isn't it, Lou? Mm-hmm. We used to joke that if the world ended, you know, or they had an atomic bomb in Washington, D.C., no one wouldn't really know until the next barge came in in the, in the springtime. just wouldn't make any difference. And I know, Senator Tobin, that's one of the, the considerations as you are trying to uh, develop good public policy is to, we could, we could all just base our decisions on what's good for Fairbanks, Juneau, and Anchorage, but that's not like the real important part of what makes Alaska special, I think. I agree. And I I think it's multifaceted argument. You have the recognition that cultural diversity makes us stronger as a people. We need these 
languages, these perspectives, these worldviews, the knowledge that is contained within them to exist and to thrive because it makes us stronger as a species. We need to have settlements and places inhabited on our coastal line because there are valuable resources and minerals and different components of how our economy thrives held in these spaces. And so the idea is you can have a military base there or you can help the community that has lived there for generations continue to exist and, and to have the resources necessary needed to, to live in these uh, often austere and harsh conditions. There is a national security component to it. And the most important part to me is there is a human right to live and to thrive in the place of your birth, your homeland, your your ancestral spaces. And these different facets all comprise what makes the best public policy for Alaska. All of those things have to be included in the consideration when we talk about why do we fight for PCE or why do we fight for bypass mail or why do we ensure that folks are able to access good quality water and opportunities for education and opportunities for economic development, not just in our urban areas, but also in our rural and remote areas. So over the past three days, as uh, Lou Tobin has been in the Capitol, uh, I've I just thought of this. It seems as I've been in this building since 2015, and I think more people know Lou's name than know my name. Uh, you are not an unknown quantity to a vast majority of the people in this building. Uh, I, you've been talking about having conversations with with the, your lawmakers and all that kind of thing. So tell me about this building and how, uh, and uh, forgive the language, an old timer from Nome <laughs> walks in here and communicates with your elected officials and your representatives. First, Nome is a really tight community, so if they come through Nome, and we had oh, three different Democratic conventions and state conventions in Nome since I've been there in 72, and I was a big Democrat, and I, Luke, you tell you, I, I volunteered for nearly everything because I wanted to get involved. Nome was small enough that you could not only be involved, but pretty soon you'd be sent to the state places, and they'd ask, what does Northern Alaska think about this? And there you were representing the everybody from, you know, Dillingham to Barrow. And they'd say, that's not me. But they'd say, but, but you're the only person we have, so come in. And so I met a lot of the people through there and different locations in the um, going through Alaska. And it's been fun. And I have a pretty good um, rapport with everybody. You just keep checking in with them to see what's going on all the time and say, I'm not pushing for anything this time. I first came to Dillon, to Juno as the president of the Nome Receiving Home, trying to pick up funding so we could build a house there, build a receiving home in Nome. And uh, Davis, Larry Davis was the senator here. And I was, you know, 24, full of all kinds of stuff. I'd get up at seven and be in the Capitol, be at this building at eight o'clock, going to go talk to people, and uh, nobody would be here. And around 10 o'clock, Larry had come in and say, oh, find me about four o'clock. And I didn't know what to do. So if I'd come back and see him at four o'clock, he said, well, let's go down to the Latchstring, which was the, I can't remember the name of the hotel, the Baranoff's big place. And there you'd see all the senators, representatives, 
And he says, go buy him a drink and he'll listen to you. Go dance with this lady and, and that table will listen to you. On about one or two in the morning, my lobbying for that day would be done and I'd go home and he'd say, come back and see me at four. So for three days I did that, got the receiving home built, and then I had a friend and he says, let's go up into the back of Juno Mountains for a little while. So I camped out there for a day in his tent and uh, he says, now you look good enough, you can go back to Nome and tell him what you did. <laughs> I think the, these, some of these stories are really fascinating to hear about how it used to be or how it used to operate. And I want the public to know that is not necessarily the way we do business today. I, I do come to the office at 8 a.m. and have many constituents that I listen to at that point. But one of the other things I want to, to highlight is this idea of getting involved in your community. My entire childhood, Lou was engaged in every volunteer community opportunity that he could possibly get engaged in. Not only did he join the Nome School Board, but he also was the president of the Nome PTSA. He has been the president for our Rotary Club many years. You're on the Art Council. You were also on the Nome City Council. Uh, you have served in fire department. the fire department. You also uh, were involved in my booster clubs and all of our different activities. You were a doodad for my Girl Scout troop, my entire uh, junior high and high school career. I started with you and was president of the preschool when you, you know, Noam is strange. Everybody says, I'll help, but I don't want to be in charge. If you just take the lead, then I'll help you with whatever you want. And of course, you take the lead and they say, oh, I've got something to do right then. I'll get you the next time. But so you get in and you get involved and it was, and it was a great way to bring up kids because everybody was happy to see, they were happy to see my kids when they were three and four and five than they were me. <laughs> I also love, and I will say my father's, my personal favorite volunteering opportunity my father engages in now is the steak and chili judging for the VFW during Iditarod. It always means we get a good seat and a good steak. Lou, I want to ask about uh, Senator Luki Gail Tobin, your daughter. When she called me up and, and said, uh, would you like a job? I was like, I'll take it. I don't care what it pays kind of thing. Because I was honored to work with her because she's, mm -hmm. she's you know, an honorable person. Are you proud that she's uh, sitting in this position? And did you think she ever would be? I'm very proud. You know, that's a, a given. I'm a, I'm a father. And it's just, it's hard to watch some of the things that go on and not want to say, Luki, can I help? You know, that's. You have to keep stepping on your tongue and saying, no, this is not my job. But, yeah, very happy. But back when she was like a sophomore in high school, she was she won some speaking engagement and was going around a lot of the places in both Fairbanks, Anchorage, and around her village areas talking. And I think it was on drug, drug abuse and how to overcome drug and alcohol abuse. And one of the guys that came in to speak was Senator um, Murkowski, Frank Murkowski, Frank this time, the old Senator Murkowski. And he talked with her, you know, he, he's, I guess she spoke first and he spoke second in a couple places. And she was in an airplane flying back to Anchorage for one of these speaking engagements. And Mr. Murkowski came in and didn't think she recognized him, sat down next to her and asked what she thought about the different speakers, and especially the guy in charge that was doing all the speaking up front. And she recognized Senator Murkowski, of course, he's 6'4 or something. And 
went on and said, well, it was pretty good, but the guy in charge, that senator, he spoke way too long and was way out of touch with anybody and proceeded to tell him how to fix it. And he left and, you know, but the next day he was talking to her and saying, when they open up the Senate page program, I want you to apply. And she was all excited about this, but the next year when they had that deal, our guidance counselors didn't tell anybody in the, in the school that it was happening. They said, oh, nobody from Nome ever gets anywhere, so we're not even going to tempt our students with that. She was in a wrestling match in the middle of a, a Saturday afternoon when Murkowski's office calls Vern, the guidance counselor, and says, how come Lukey hasn't applied yet? And he says, I didn't know she should have. So he ran down. It was the last day for application. So between wrestling matches and gotten scoring for the rest of the wrestling team, Lukey had to fill out her complete application, was accepted. She was one of two people in the state sent to Murkowski's office and uh, became a Senate page. The other crazy part was for the next two years, we had to try and talk her out of being a Republican. But other than that, it was pretty nice. <laughs> so you actually led me right to something I did want to talk about, and that is being a Democrat. You mentioned early on in our conversation, you're a Democrat in Nome. Senator Tobin is a Democrat. I'm a, I'm a Democrat. Alaska is not associated right now with Democrats. But when you landed in Nome in 1972, it actually was, wasn't it? They say when, um, I think it was Eisenhower was going to bring in the Alaska, all the uh, senators and places were re rejecting it, saying this will throw off the balance between the Republican states and the Democratic states because Alaska was so Democratic. They finally acquiesced and said, well, if we bring in Hawaii and it's so solid Republican and Alaska, so solid, they'll balance out. So that's the way both those states got in. And of course, within 10 years, they flipped entirely. My parents were all Republican. My dad fought in World War II and you didn't, you know, he, he came out smoking cigarettes and convinced Eisenhower was the best president we could ever have. And then I... Jack Kennedy came along and um, really enjoyed the way he was doing things and that he was going against convention. He was the populist for that era and converted over at that point, was in debates in, I guess, was fifth and sixth grade, trying to tell him why Kennedy would be a better person than Nixon. So I will give your, uh, your daughter and Senator Tobin a, a huge compliment here. While she is a Democrat, she is a Democrat that uh, willingly and seems to enjoy working across the aisle with Republicans. I noticed that specifically during the Alaska Reads Act, which uh, we both worked on. And now in the last hundred and so days, um, it, she is not a partisan Democrat that is unwilling to listen and work with Republicans. She is a Democrat that seems to embrace working with uh, conservatives and Republicans. So uh, I'll give you that compliment. Uh, do you do that on purpose? Is it, was it something you walked in here this session saying, I am going to work across the aisle, or is that just your nature? Oh my goodness, that's a, a question to unpack. Obviously, I, I don't necessarily see people's letters above their heads when I start to talk with them. And one of the things I loved about growing up in Nome is the eclectic mix of perspectives, the eclectic mix of 
interests and how much my father really just embraces everyone. Uh, it is no secret that I grew up with a single father and he had to rely on many members of the community to help us out when I needed to get to the airport and he was at work or I needed someone to make sure that I was eating good meals and making it to school on time when he had to travel for work. And many of his close friends happened to be more conservative than he is. And it was never shied away upon to have them at the dinner table and to engage in political debate. It wasn't a taboo topic. It wasn't something that would become divisive. We just had good conversations and dialogue. And I often found myself realizing that the perspective I had maybe needed to be tweaked or maybe needed to be amended with the information that was being shared by these close people in our lives. And coming into this building, I carry that with me. Everyone has a good idea and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on. Everyone cares about this state. It doesn't matter what political party affiliation they have. And everyone wants to get to yes. And my job is to figure out how we do that and I'll feel good about it at the end. Uh, Lou, I want to wrap up with two last questions. One, as uh, someone that has lived in uh, rural Alaska for since 1972, what does the future hold? for places like Nome and, and all of these other really special places in, in Alaska. Yeah, I don't see them growing any bigger is what, you know, we've got a port coming into Nome that's supposed to with the new north-south shipping lines that go through the through the Bering Straits. We'll change it some, but I don't know what that'll do for, and they say there's going to be new airport bases in Nome because we're tired of flying jets from Fairbanks if we have to meet the Russians trying to invade our airspace. So that'll be rather curious. And there are fewer people now that want to come to Nome than there were when I got here. There, you know, there's, there's more people that want to leave Nome. More people complain about random things like food prices and inflation than, they, than there were then. Then the object was, it's, that's the cost of living here. Now they say, no, we can move. And it's strange. So I don't know how the and the other and smaller villages, that's they're still very culturally aligned. When I got to Nome, I think sixty-five percent of Nome was speaking Inupiat of some form. And um, now, I don't know. All through when I was teaching Teen Center, the grandparents or parents from the of the kids I had in in my Teen Center would come out and want their kids to come out of the teen center and they'd be screaming at them in the Nupiat and the kids would be screaming at their parents in English and both sides understood what the other was saying but refused to convert to the language. So, and that's changed too. Now there's very little Inupiat. The dances are finally coming back, which is nice. So I don't know how that's going to change Alaska. Unfortunately, I've only got maybe 10 to 50 years before I find out. <laughs> Lou, thank you so much for coming in. And I'm going to ask you the final question I've been asking everybody, and I, I prefaced this so you could think about it a little bit. If you could choose one person, dead or alive, they get a vote, and they get to sit next to your daughter on the Alaska State Senate floor, who would that person be? I thought about that, and I said, There's, it breaks down to about three, four different situations. If they're talking about the pipeline, the PFD, and oil, I'd want Jay Hammond there. 
not that he can change anything that's going on right now, but for his moral and influence on what happened, because he has the history, he would be the most fun to come try and push the legislature into being normal again on the on the PFD and the, the oil problems. But if it was just general things, I think Johnny Ellis had the best take on the on the legislature. He had the most humorous approach to talking to other people and picturing other people. If we were in a Democratic Party, he would be able to characterize all the different fractions in a way that not only lets you understand, but lets you understand with humor and not make fun of them, but laugh with them. And then there was Al Adams and Frank Ferguson, our senators that, you know, there's places named after Al Adams in this house. He was so instrumental. So that was fun too. So that'd be the, the grouping that, oh, and if, if you were just going after hours, if it was out of the Senate, hang out with Richard Foster. You know, if you could hang out with Richard Foster, the world was a joy. And he was the one that loved campaigning. I've never seen anybody that liked campaigning more especially from his office. You know, when he was in office, if you went to visit him, he had pictures of you and different things. And he was a riot to, to be in. You, you wanted to go see his office. You wanted to go see him in Juneau more than anything else. So you have been listening to the Empty Office Podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Giltobin. You can subscribe to the podcast on Substack and the Apple Podcast app. If you like what you hear, leave a positive review. I'm Mike Mason. Please be safe out there.